Thriving with Chronic Illness is brought to you by Life Audio and is a part of our Faith Toolkit series. For more inspirational, faith-affirming podcasts, visit us at lifeaudio.com. Hello, and welcome to the Thriving with Chronic Illness podcast. I don't know what your struggle is. I don't know how you feel at this moment or how you felt yesterday or will feel tomorrow. But I do believe God wants us to do so much more than merely survive. While this will look different for each of us, and this might even look different than we expect, I do believe God longs to show us how we can thrive in Him. I'm your host, Jennifer Slattery. I'm an author, a speaker, and a ministry leader who's learning myself how to thrive with chronic illness, how to live my life, whether sick or well, fatigued or overjoyed or discouraged or sad, to its fullness. And that's what I want to talk about today, living the life we have with all its challenges and blessings to its full capacity, not the life we wish we had or or hope one day to have, but the life we have now with all its challenges, disappointments, and celebrations. But to do that, to grab hold of all that God has planned and all he's assigned, we'll have to relinquish those things that he hasn't. We'll learn to be very careful with our yeses and probably more liberal with our noes. And this in turn means we'll need to live with courage, confidence, and determination. We must cultivate and pray for the courage to obey God above everything else, because when we set boundaries, we will inevitably disappoint people. And we're going to be talking more today about setting boundaries, those things that challenge us in this area and why they're necessary and some steps, some ways we can we can do this with courage and confidence. And it's okay if we disappoint people. We have to recognize that we're going to disappoint people and that's okay. And they're going to disappoint us as well. We all experience numerous disappointments each day. Some people may even get angry at us or attempt to make us feel guilty for our nose, and that's okay. But here's a beautiful truth. We don't have to own anyone else's poor behavior, opinions, perceptions, or reactions. So when I say that's okay, what I mean is it's not appropriate behavior for them, but we have to recognize that, okay, that's going to happen, and it's going to be okay. We can be okay even when that occurs. We don't have to own their poor behavior, opinions, perceptions, or reactions. That's not our place. We're not responsible for other people's happiness, fulfillment, or emotional well-being. That's God's job. The minute we assume those responsibilities, we've stepped away from emotional and spiritual health. In essence, we start trying to be their savior, and, and we're in essence saying that God doesn't know how to care for them or provide for what they need or to take care of that or to work everything out, whatever it is. Now, don't misunderstand. I'm not saying don't treat others with kindness or do things out of pure joy or obedience in Christ or, or to sprinkle light and life into other people's lives. But if we're sacrificing our health and our peace to do so, then we have probably stepped outside of God's will. And that's always a dangerous and defeating place to be. Now, that's not to say that God won't sometimes call us to love others sacrificially and that and doing so might cause us to suffer physically like we that might cost us physically 
I mean, it certainly cost the Apostle Paul. Paul was beaten, stoned, flogged, imprisoned, and executed, not just for the sake of Christ, but so that others would come to know him. So sometimes, yes, obeying Christ does come at a cost. He said that. But here's the thing. Paul knew, knew, knew that God was directing his every step. He was acting in obedience, not in guilt, not in fear, not because of manipulation or obligation. And until we can say the same, that we are behaving, acting in obedience, not out of guilt, fear, or manipulation, we need to hit pause. And we need to ask God, like, am I supposed to be doing this thing? And we need to put some boundaries in place so that we can say that. We need courage to do that. But here's the good news. The more we practice setting boundaries, the easier it becomes to do so. So go ahead, practice. And if you really struggle in this area, call a friend and and ask them to role play with you. Seriously. I did that a lot in the early days of my ministry. I had a difficult time speaking truth and holding others accountable, largely because I was afraid of displeasing them, of sounding harsh or making them mad. And and like I shared last episode, I didn't have everything really clear in my mind. So that was part of it as well. And I also had a, I had this fear of being rejected. And as a result, I would talk circles around an issue without really saying what needed to be said. So I started role-playing with my husband and a team member who served for a time as my leadership coach. And we would talk things out as if I was speaking to There were a couple women in particular that I struggled with. And so I would talk things out as if I was speaking to one of those women that I was having a hard time addressing. And this helped me make sense of my thoughts, like as I spoke them out. And it also helped me plan out my words. But even more importantly, the practice increased my confidence. And then when I began setting boundaries for real, I had to remind myself that I wasn't being hurtful or unkind. I was stating truth and seeking health for everyone involved. So yeah, we to set boundaries, we need courage. We also need confidence in order to set boundaries, especially when it comes to our health and our time with God. And, and those two things are closely, inseparably connected. We must first believe that we're worth protecting. I'm going to say that again. In order to set boundaries, we must first believe that we're worth them, that we're worth those boundaries. Can you see that? In order to set boundaries, protecting our health and our time, we have to believe that we ourselves are worth protecting. So imagine living in the male-dominated first century as, as a woman where everyone measured your value based on two things, how well you maintain the home and how many children you produce. Then imagine Jesus showed up in your home with a large number of hungry, smart, and much more quote-unquote important men. So how would you respond? Would you sneak off to the roof to nibble on fig cakes until they all left? That maybe is what I would do. Would you run around like a crazy woman trying to get your house clean and a meal prepared to demonstrate just how competent, how worthwhile you were? Yeah, I might have done that too. Or... (laughs) Would you walk right out to where the men were gathered? Would you plop at the respected rabbi's feet to hear what he had to say? (laughs) 
Now, you might be familiar with this story. It's known as the Mary and Martha account, or when Jesus came to visit Mary and Martha. And, and you, if you've gone to many women's events, you've probably heard it at least once, along with the message that we all need to be more like the sweet, relaxed, and, and calm woman who chose to let the dishes lie and her sister fume to sit at Christ's feet. Now, you can read the full account in Luke chapter 10 verses 38 to 42, but I'm going to give you the paraphrased version. So one day, Jesus and his disciples, they came to a village. And we really don't know how many disciples were with him, but I doubt it was just the 12. Crowds had a tendency to follow him. And and in Luke chapter 10, we read about a time when Jesus sent out 72 disciples or students to share the kingdom of God. So it's quite possible a lot of men were traveling with him. And and one commentary I read said that it could have been as many as 100 men with him. And Martha, seeing him in the other, she opened her home to them. Now, I have to pause here for a couple of reasons. But first, did you catch who issued the invite? Martha did. And at this point, we have no idea what Mary was doing that day or how she wanted her to spend her time, how she felt, how she didn't feel, or quite frankly, if she wanted guests over at all. Now, obviously, whenever Jesus comes near, we should all open our hearts and our homes. But the point I want to make that we'll see played out later is that Martha appears to be the type of woman, at least in this scenario, that determined what she felt was right the right thing to do. And she demanded that everyone else not only agree with her, but do what she determined was best. Now we all have people in our lives like that, right? And who who just think they know the best course of action and everybody else should just fall in line. They get to choose and they get to decide for everybody else as well. And I think sometimes we can all play that role as well, can't we? Thinking we have the right to tell others what they should be doing and and how they should be doing it. So anyway, Martha invited Jesus in and, and she hurried to prepare a meal. Now, some scholars believe Mary and Martha were wealthy and that they had servants to help them, which would make feeding 70 some grown men, if indeed that's who came, a little less overwhelming, but still. This was the son of God, like God in the flesh. So I can understand why Martha might have felt the pressure to oversee everything, to get her hands in everything, also known as exert full control, to see that every dish was prepared well. Because, well, like I referenced earlier, that was how women received their value back then. They, Like I said, they were valued for their home and how many babies they produced. And as far as we can tell from scripture, both of these sisters were single and childless. So in that culture, that had to be a bit of a sting, something that made them feel insecure, less than. And our boundaries can be challenged. It can be very challenging to set boundaries if we feel insecure and less than. Boundaries require courage and confidence. So anyway, Martha had, she, all she had left was the house and her meals, like probably in her mind, I'm envisioning, like that's all she had left for, for her value. And, and it appears she wanted to manage both 
well. And I, I've always wondered if some of the angst we see in her in this passage, if it, it stems from a, a false and, and therefore shaky identity. So anyway, she was running all over the place, doing her best to feed these hungry men. And we all know how impatient and potentially hangry men can become when hungry. Am I right? Well, I, so I totally understand the pressure she might have been feeling. She's like, get some food in these men, but not Mary. Mary wasn't hustling about. She wasn't all stressed. She wasn't trying to perform or impress or control things. Scripture says she, quote, sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he had to say. Ladies, that took courage. And not just to walk away from the kitchen. In ancient Palestine, rabbis did not teach women. And Jesus was considered a well-respected Rabbi, so this would be something similar to a woman walking into an all-male seminary. So like maybe like let's think of like in the 1920s or something. I don't know. All-male learning environment and plopping right there in the middle of them. Now, this had to raise a few eyebrows. Some of the men probably stared, completely shocked. Some may even have frowned or scowled at her. So again, this was a courageous act that took determination and confidence as without words, she set a very clear boundary that she was not going to spend her time in the kitchen on that particular evening, but instead would sit resting and learning and receiving nourishment at Jesus's feet as if she had every right to be there because she did. And like I said earlier, in order to set boundaries, we have to believe that we're worthy of them. And that may be our biggest battle. If you struggle with that, all I can say is battle with Christ. Ask him to help you in this area and to remove whatever lies have made you feel unworthy. So anyway, there she sat, listening, learning, soaking in the pure presence of Christ, quietly setting her boundary. And her quiet strength initiated a not-so-quiet response from Martha. And that'll happen, right? When we set our boundaries, people don't always respond well. And Martha certainly didn't. Scripture says she came to Christ. And I can only imagine that she came and she approached him while he sat surrounded by the other. Scripture doesn't really tell us where Jesus was, but I have a difficult time envisioning him off by himself in the house somewhere. And so Martha came to Christ and she said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. And like I said, scripture doesn't tell us where Martha and Jesus were at this point, but I envision that when Martha came to when Martha came to Christ that he was sitting there with Mary and with the other disciples teaching. So in other words, I picture a public confrontation. Now, can you imagine how that would have felt to Mary in her already vulnerable state. And I don't mean, I don't know what she was feeling emotionally, but just what I explained earlier about being a woman in a male-dominated environment doing not doing what society expected of her. So already a vulnerable state. But here's what I find so striking about this story. Not once do we see Mary defending herself. 
And we don't see her immediately getting up to do as Martha likely had been pestering and nagging with ample size and clanking of cupboards and stomping around. We don't see her doing what Martha was pestering her to do. And she doesn't argue either. She doesn't get defensive. Instead, she let Jesus handle the situation. She set her boundary. She maintained her boundary with quiet confidence and quiet strength. And she left everything else, including Martha's reactions, to Jesus. And he did handle the situation. He said, quote, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. Now, what irony, right? I mean, here Martha was hoping to get Mary into trouble, and she received the lesson herself. Sometimes we have to trust that God will do that, that he will, will basically come to our defense, that he will deal with everyone else, especially those who maybe passive aggressively try to overshadow our boundaries. We don't have to argue with them. We don't have to defend our position. We don't have to cower to their demands. We simply need to do what we feel is right in that moment and leave their reaction and their transformation, I will add, leave their reaction to God. There's such peace in that and taking responsibility for ourselves and ourselves only and not taking responsibility, not owning other people's reactions and behaviors and emotions. And I'm learning I'm still learning this. I'm learning I don't need to defend or explain my actions nearly as often as I'd once thought. So let me give an example. One of the ways I care for myself is I I fiercely guard my Sundays. That is my crash day. And when I say crash, that's that's what I mean. Like I am white. I am out. I go to church, I serve at church, and then I come home and I go directly to bed. And I may nap all day, kind of drifting in and out of sleep, or I'll I'll definitely lie around the full day. And I found when I don't take that full day to recoup, I don't have the energy I need for the rest of the week. It catches up with me. I need that time. I have to guard it. And this means I often have to tell people no. And A while ago, a friend, she invited me to attend a special event for her teenager, and it was on a Sunday, and and I felt bad, like I wanted to go, but I knew I couldn't, and so I explained that I was tired and that I needed to rest, And, and I suspect that she assumed I met in the same way that she might rest on a Sunday, so like take a nap, and then you're fine, and then you go about your day, but that's not the same for me. That doesn't work for me. And I knew this. I know this about me. I need the full day. So I declined and I felt a bit bad. I could tell she didn't really understand, but you know, I didn't explain everything. I didn't explain the why for a few reasons. First of all, my health is my business. And outside of this podcast, I don't like talking about it a whole lot in part because while I don't want people to label me by my illness or predetermine what I can or can't do. And let's just pause here. That's hard, isn't it? That fear of being labeled by our illness, that that was hard for me for a long time. And honestly, it still can be. I have this fear that if others know I'm sick, if they know the extent to which I struggle, they'll automatically assume that I can't do certain things. And, And then maybe I'll miss out on opportunities. Maybe they'll automatically disqualify me for a job or a position or a role. So I'm tempted to blur 
my boundaries, to give in to something I know I'm not physically up for, but this is a trust issue, not in the person inviting me or, or whoever I might be worried about. It's a trust issue with God. I need to remind myself that my calling and my assignments, whatever they are, come from God, not people, no matter how powerful or influential they might appear, which means I can follow his lead completely and without fear or hesitation, knowing that he knows my limitations and he also knows my capabilities. He knows my gifts and he knows how he plans to use them. He knows my dreams, my desires, my passions, and he has promised to perfect everything that concerns me. And knowing that helps me release my fear of being labeled or misunderstood. And that's so important because people don't, they won't always understand. And I gave up on the need for them to understand a long time ago, to understand me, to understand my illness. And I have to tell you, that is so, so freeing. So let me give another example. I struggle at night. And if I'm not in bed close to 8 p.m., my pain level climbs. And sometimes to the point that I can't knock it back. Now, I don't know why this is. It makes no sense. But it is the way it is. And so I have learned to adapt. Now, this means declining invites that might go late. It means leaving parties or social gatherings early. It means maybe not staying up for the 4th of July or for New Year's. And you know, when I do, when I, when I politely excuse myself, I don't have to explain. I simply say I need to go as kindly as possible, and then I leave. And really, I don't know what your illness is like, but most of the time, mine doesn't make any sense. One day, I can struggle just trying to make dinner. Like last night, that was like I had a rough day yesterday, and so my husband ordered pizza. And today, I feel much better, and I have a lot more energy. So one day, I might struggle. The other day, I can run around town without really much of a thought or, or a cost to me physically. And I've been asked more than a few times how I do all I do. And from those who don't really see my struggles, the days I stay in bed all day or, or, or from fatigue or, or sometimes from, you know, after I've had a rough night, maybe I need to sleep because I didn't sleep all night. I was up in pain. And, and while I'm not entirely sure when people ask me that question, like, how do you do what you do? I'm not sure what they're referring to as I spend most of my time communicating and well, let's just say my mouth seems to have endless energy, even when my brain has lost all juice. Now that's scary or comical, depending on how you look at it. But first I've got a team around me always. I've got a team around me. I don't do it on my own. I don't do life on my own. I've got a team in ministry. I've got a team at home and my husband, I've got a team of writer friends. I don't try to live my life alone. And I am super quick to reach out. And I don't see that as a burden to anyone. And instead, I see it as all of us working together as we seek to serve Christ. Now, granted, I'm in ministry. So I get that sometimes it's easier for me to view my time and my tasks that way. But the truth is, if we belong to Christ, we're all in ministry. He has an eternal assignment for each of us. And it's very unlikely, very unlikely that he wants us to walk that road alone. He doesn't work that way. He created us to need one another because it's in our joining and our leaning on and helping and supporting and encouraging one another that is amazing, unifying love is most revealed. That's when people see Christ in us. 
And think about that for a minute. We won't be able to set and maintain clear boundaries until we understand that. We also have to take time to honestly consider what we can and cannot do, and maybe even have backup plans. And I know that's hard. At least it's, it's hard for me. As I shared earlier, I have some days where I feel like I have a lot more energy than other days. Some days where my pain is significantly decreased. And then some days like yesterday where I am completely wiped out. And on my wiped out days, I can feel guilty. And I'll be honest, I wrestled with guilt yesterday. I felt like maybe I should push through, that I should be able to push through, or or I knew I had exercised that morning and it knocked me out for the rest of the day. And I'm like, well, maybe I shouldn't do that anymore. And so I had to wrestle with those decisions and with those questions. And I wrestled with my own guilt, but I've learned those hard days come and they go, they come and they go. I've learned to expect so many hard days in a month that just seems to happen that way. And so I plan my time and my responsibilities accordingly. And in the beginning, I had to really watch that and kind of look at like, how my illness tended to ebb and flow. And while it's not perfectly predictable, at least gave me some kind of an idea of what to expect. And so I plan my time and my responsibilities accordingly. So I reserve certain activities, like maybe creating graphics where I can be lying in bed, I do it on my computer, or reading research books, or, or, or listening to a podcast to help me get understanding if I'm trying to write about something or speak about something or, or maybe cleaning out my inbox. I do those things when I don't feel well, when I'm tired, when I don't really have to concentrate, when I feel like my brain isn't quite up to concentrating. And then I save my creative writing time for when I have more energy and my brain doesn't feel quite so foggy. And on those days when even emails feel challenging, I rest. And I remind myself that I will have energy. I will have more energy on another day. I, but also more importantly, I remind myself of this truth because I don't know, you may, you're, you may always be at a place of low energy and then you might have to reevaluate how you spend your time. But here's what I know, because I, this is what I know to be true about God. We have the energy and the time, I guarantee, for whatever God is calling us to do. And when I'm not feeling well or when I'm evaluating my schedule, I have to remind myself of that. I have the time and the energy for whatever God is calling me to do. And so I trust him. I trust him with my day, with my deadlines, with my family, with my illness, with my capabilities. And I also work ahead because I struggle with fluctuating energy levels. I don't have time to procrastinate. For example, I'm a writer and most writers contract on proposal, which means they write the book proposal, an outline of sorts, three sample chapters, and then they send it off and they wait until the publisher offers a contract before writing anymore, before finishing the book. And that's usually then they finish it under deadline. Well, I don't do that. So far, I've signed, every time I've signed a book deal, it's been with a completed manuscript. Every time I work ahead, well ahead. And this gives me the flexibility to take down days when I need them. And I also limit my time out, like outside of the house. And and really, I have completely adjusted my lifestyle. My life looks much, much different than it did like 10 years ago. 
And I already mentioned some of the ways I do this. I shared examples also in my previous episode, but one afternoon, I and I think I might have even shared this example, but I'm going to share it again here. One afternoon, I was walking with another woman from my church, and and somehow we got to discussing, I, I think we were looking at if maybe she had fibromyalgia, and so I was discussing some of the adjustments that I made in order to take care of myself, some of the ways I adapt to my illness, and she asked, doesn't that frustrate you? And so I considered her question honestly for a moment, and I said, no, because this is just the way life is for me. It's become a way of life, and I mean that literally, a way of life, a way of grabbing hold of life, a way to live fully. And really, I feel like it's a small thing to give up my, my nighttime activities or, or my Sunday afternoon out doing whatever in order to fully embrace what God is calling me to do. I can fight it. I can fight my illness. Or I can learn to adapt and follow God's lead. And like I said before, every time we say yes to something, we are necessarily saying no to something else. And so we need to think carefully about what we say yes to and what we say no to. And we need to believe that we are worth making that statement, setting that boundary. And I know sometimes that can be hard, especially if we're saying no to something enjoyable or memorable. And sometimes that's hard for me. Like when trips come up with my family, we evaluate, like, is mom going to be able to do this thing? What will this look like? What will travel plans look like? And yeah, sometimes that can be a little disappointing. And that's where we must learn and practice contentment. And we all have to, whether, everybody has challenges, everybody has disappointments. So we all, as, as a life practice, have to practice contentment. Trusting that God will bring us joy and fulfillment because he's a good, good father. And he truly does want to bless us. But let's never forget, he alone is our greatest blessing and no one can take him away from us. No one can take our time with him away from us either, unless we let them. But remember what Jesus said to Martha, Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. And every moment we can choose what is good or what is better. And that'll be different for each one of us. And then we must set boundaries to guard what is better, what is best. Thank you for listening to today's episode. I hope it encouraged you and maybe gave you some tools that can help you in this area to really set boundaries with confidence and with courage. I would love it if you would subscribe and that way you'll get future episodes sent directly to you. Make sure to share it wherever you share your podcast. That would encourage me so much. And I would love it if you would rate it. That helps people to find this podcast and it's also a great encouragement to me. So remember, God is not done with us. Our life is not over. He has an eternally significant plan for us. And he will show us that plan. May we have the courage and the confidence to say yes to what God is assigning and to say no to whatever he is not. Thriving with Chronic Illness is a production of Life Audio and the Salem Web Network. If you enjoyed this episode, would you take a minute and leave us a review in your podcast app? It really does help more people like you find the podcast. To hear more from Jennifer Slattery, be sure to check out her fantastic site, holyloved.com. 
This episode was produced by me, Kelly Gibbons, and edited by Stephen Sanders. A special thanks to our executive producer, Stephen McGarvey. For more podcasts like this, head over to lifeaudio.com. A crazy world out there, moms and dads. I'm Katherine Seegers, host of Christian Parent Crazy World, the podcast that tackles tough topics to help you be a godly parent in an ungodly world. Subscribe at lifeaudio.com.